Hello, good evening. We are in 1 Corinthians and we're in chapter 3 and we'll read from verses 18 to 23. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. May the Lord bless the reading of his holy and inerrant word. And Paul is wrapping up this section of his letter with a set of particular exhortations. He's going to put his finger directly on the Corinthians besetting sin. But as we read it, please note the wonderful way that Paul the pastor does more than just exhort them or warn them about their sin. No, he offers them spiritual resources that will help them deal with their sin and live lives of new obedience. When I was first asked or required or compelled by my parents to cut the grass, I had to use a push mower. I don't know whether you ever remember those things. It was a brute of a thing. And the day that we actually bought a lawnmower with an engine was a day of great celebration for me. I still had to mow the lawn, but now the engine virtually pulled me up and down the lawn. When God calls Christians to deal with sin, he expects us to get to work, but his command has an engine in it. It comes fitted with promises designed to pull us along and enable us to obey. And so as we read verses 18 to 23, please look out for the exhortations. There are two principal exhortations. And I want you also to look out for the resources, these spiritual resources that Paul reminds the Corinthians of, which if we take hold of them by faith, will enable us more and more to obey. So the passage divides into two neat sections, each part with three verses in each, both of which begin with this word of exhortation. So verse 18, the first exhortation, let no one deceive himself. And verse 21, which is the second exhortation, let no one boast in men. These are the two exhortations that stand as headings in these two blocks of text. And Paul wants to be clear and forthright he doesn't want anyone left scratching their heads wondering about what his point might be so two things two dangers to avoid the danger of self-deception and the danger of boasting in men and they're the two blocks of three so first of all the danger of self-deception we all tend to have an estimation of ourselves that is skewed and warped and distorted From our own vantage point, we often misread ourselves. How many mistakes we would be spared, how many foolish blunders we would avoid if we could just see ourselves with objectivity and be spared self-deception. We often think of ourselves much more highly than we ought. We are often self-deceived. Notice the particular problem in verse 18 at Corinth. It is their love, Paul says, of the wisdom of the age. They prized the sophisticated rhetoric, the displays of philosophical prowess that marked and characterized their orators of their day. 
And they were trying to assimilate the wisdom of the world and the gospel of Jesus Christ at Corinth. To be sure, they wanted Jesus, but they wanted a socially acceptable Jesus. Yes, they want the gospel, but they want to knock the rough edges of off it to make it fit into the world. And as we've seen Paul argue again and again in this opening section of 1 Corinthians, when you start to accommodate the message of the cross, when you start to try and water it down to fit the mood of the culture, you lose the gospel and you deceive yourself. And we know it's true today. If you try and make the message more acceptable, you lose the whole thing. Do not deceive yourself. You cannot proclaim the Jesus Christ of Scripture and secure the praises of the world at the same time. The folly of worldly wisdom. The wisdom of this world is folly with God. The, world met, the world's metrics are all wrong. God doesn't value what the world values. Wisdom for God is found in the broken body of the man at Calvary. There is the wisdom of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, nailed between two criminals, hanging on a Roman cross outside the city walls. The only saviour of sinners. That is the wisdom of God. The world wants power. The world wants political solutions. The world wants self-help strategies. That is worldly wisdom. But whatever we might think of the wisdom of the age, however compelling we may at times find it to be, and there's not much danger of that right now, Paul shows us exactly what God thinks of it. Paul quotes scripture this time to bring out his argument. First from Job 15 verse 3 and then Psalm 94 verse 11. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. That's verse 19 of our passage. For it is written he catches the wise in their craftiness into verse 20 and again the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. You are not wiser than God. And when you begin to accommodate his message about Jesus Christ crucified to the tastes and the preferences of this world, in order to make it more palatable, more acceptable, you have not found a better way. You have deceived yourself. God sees the truth and he catches the wise in their craftiness. He knows the futility of the thoughts of those who think themselves wise. So what must we must do? We must become fools in order to be wise. It is painful. It is humbling. It is hard. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. Now remember, we've seen the church's foolish message, the message of the cross. Jesus on the cross is a foolish message in the eyes of the world. And you remember the churches have has foolish members, not many wise, not many noble. And then we've got foolish ministers. Paul said he didn't come proclaiming the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. But Paul has shown us that it's these things that upon which God rests his blessing. A foolish message, apparently. Foolish members for believing it, apparently. And the foolish ministers for proclaiming it. But it is through these that God works for his glory and for the good of his people. 
So Paul is saying here, if you want God's blessing for yourself and to see God at work in your life and through your life in the lives of others, then you must take your place among these and give up our attempts at the wisdom of the world. Now embrace the foolishness of the gospel. Become a fool for Christ. Embrace the foolishness of the gospel for yourself. Take your place in the company of fools who believe that the gospel under the ministry of fools is the hope of the world. Become a fool for Christ. Give up the world's wisdom. Embrace the wisdom of God which is bound up with the man of Calvary, the only saviour of sinners, the perfect saviour, Jesus Christ crucified and risen for you. That's what it means to be a disciple. To be a Christian is to be a fool in the eyes of the world. Are you prepared to be a fool, to look the fool, that you might stand where God says true wisdom is to be found? Trusting in, resting on, all your hopes committed to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Do not be self-deceived. Secondly, do not boast in men. Verse 21, this is the besetting sin of the Corinthians. This is how the worldly wisdom works its way out for them. They boast in men. And it's not that they just found particular preachers to be helpful in their spiritual life and they're affirming the way that God has used these men. No, they're boasting in these men. They're driving what they say about their leaders actually is pride. They're motivated by an attempt to make themselves look good by claiming the fame of their leader. My guy is better than your guy, therefore I'm wiser than you. <laughs> it's worldly wisdom motivated by pride. And as Paul addresses this persistent problem in Corinth, he turns to offer these two really remarkable truths that are calculated to make all that boasting unnecessary and reveal it for what it really is, altogether really quite ridiculous. Here in these two truths, we find the engine that will pull us along as we seek to obey the exhortation of God to us in Holy Scripture this evening. First of all, he asks us to remember what we have. And then secondly, he asks us to remember whose we are. If you remember what you have, and if you remember whose you are, everything will change. Boasting will die. Humility will be yours. And the church will know the blessing of God. So if you, the first two things were do not be self-deceived. Do not boast in men. And now we come to remember what we have and remember whose we are. So it's almost like a four-point sermon divided into two, if you kind of get my drift. So the first point of application is remember what we have. Do not boast in men. Why not? For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. The Corinthians were like a young man who wants to buy an engagement ring for his sweetheart at his uncle's jewellery store. And he keeps haggling with his uncle for the best price for his engagement ring. But not pausing to hear what his uncle is saying. Nephew, you don't understand. You're going to inherit the whole store. It is yours. It's a bit like that. The Corinthians are haggling over Paul or Apollos or Cephas when they have all three. All things are yours. All those whom Christ sends to preach the word belong to the whole church. Why are you fighting over one of Christ's jewels when all are for you? Five things that are ours in Christ that Paul says. Verse 22. 
the world, life, death, the present or the future. These are the things that enslave us, the things that hold us in bondage. The world, which tries to create us in its mould. The life that we cling to as if the Bible had never told us that our lives are but a vapour that quickly vanishes when the first puff of breeze passes by. Death is a tyranny no one escapes. The present as we scurry to achieve and leave our mark before it is too late. And the uncertainty of an unknown future haunt our steps at every turn. These are the five tyrannies of life, the five things that enslave us, that hold us in bondage. But Paul is offering us a different perspective that is available to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Understand that as believers, when you get Jesus, these five cease to be tyrants holding you in bondage and become gifts of God to you, to the praise of God and for the good of your soul, for God's glory and for your eternal good. And when you do, when you understand that, that the, what, the, the world becomes the theatre for God's glory. And you begin to rest in the promise that the meek shall inherit the earth. You see? The world, as a tyranny, tries to squeeze us into its mould. But as Christians, the world becomes the theatre for God's glory. You begin to rest in the promise that the meek shall inherit the earth. Life. It ceases to be something to cling to in insecurity and fear, but the sphere of joyful service as the Lord leads and protects. Death stops being the spect, you know, that doom and gloom that haunts our steps that we're always trying to escape. And now for believers is the gateway to glory. Where though we are absent from the body, for a time, we shall be nevertheless present with the Lord, which is far better. So we can stay with Paul, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And when that becomes to penetrate, the present no longer demands the survival of the fittest, driving us to performance. But the present is an opportunity for ministry, because we live secure in the wise governance of the Lord Jesus who works all things together for good for those who love him. And thus, though we cannot yet see it, we know the one who holds the future. And all the days ordained for us are written in his book before yet one of them has come to pass. So we face the future confident that he holds the future and he holds us safe in his hands. All things are yours when you get Jesus Christ. Remember what you have. John Owen, our great problem as Christians is that we are so prone to forget our privileges that we underestimate our privileges. So much of our Christian life would be happier, healthier and better, more shot through with joy, more or less inclined towards sin. If we would simply understand that all things are ours when we get Jesus Christ. Paul is saying, see the glory. Look at the vast landscape of blessing that is yours. And when you begin to drink it in and see and remember what you have in Christ, you begin to forget what you were fighting about in the first place. And instead of bickering and squabbling, you begin to adore and worship. Remember what you have. Secondly, finally, remember whose you are. Verse 23, and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. 
Not only have all these things been given to you in Christ, but you've been given to Christ and the Christ to whom you have been given is God's Christ. Paul is trying to put us into a bigger context. Paul is trying to reframe our thinking. So self no longer fills the horizon, but we see ourselves in perspective. All are yours, you're Christ, and Christ is God's who is over all and all in all. You belong to Jesus. That is the most basic fact about you today. If you're a Christian, you're his. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. You're his. Written over every square millimetre of your life, my life, of the world in which we live, are the claims of the living God and the crowned rights of the Redeemer, King Jesus. And over it all, over us all, he says, mine. And viewed from that perspective, boasting dies, humility comes. I recently heard some words of Neil Armstrong's, the first man on the moon. and He was reflecting on that moment when he was standing on the moon looking at the earth. And he said, it suddenly struck me that that tiny pea, that little pretty blue thing, was the earth. I put up my thumb and shut one eye and my thumb blotted out planet earth. I did not feel like a giant. Instead, I felt very, very small. And as Paul concludes chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, he wants us to feel that way about the vastness and the glory all around. Not boasting, not beasting our chest and proclaiming our own wisdom, but suddenly humbled. Aware of how very, very small we really are before the vast immensity of the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, before the endless landscape of his grace toward us in his Son. And instead of our prideful, divisive claims, Paul is calling us to turn our eyes upon Jesus. Remember whose you are and remember what you have. Have you forgotten your privileges? Have you so much begin to fill every corner of your horizon that you can't see beyond your own needs and demands and preferences? Now, Paul wants to take you into a much wider landscape to show you how the Lord has lavished all things upon you so that all things must work together for your good as you live under the reign of King Jesus. And then he wants to remind us, we don't belong to us, so we don't get to live our own way anymore. We belong to Christ who shed his blood to make us his. And overall is the Lordship of God whose you are and to whom belongs all things, to whom be the glory. So seeing that vast vista, our self-centeredness really does begin to look a bit ridiculous. And in humility, instead of pride and bickering and squabbling, comes adoration and praise and wonder to the God who has redeemed us and given all things to us in his Son, we begin to bow down and worship. May the Lord help us to remember what we have, whose we are, that we may not be self-deceived. Remember verse 18. Nor may we boast in men, verse 21, but give all the glory to him.